Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin, back from several conventions here with my good friend, Teos Abadilla. Hey, Teos. Hey, Sean. How are you doing today, my friend? I am in the 99th percentile for hecticness. Um, oh. That is not a word, but I, it is in this household. So I am trying to hold it all together with this bailing twine and sealing wax. And I'm sure that my head will not fall off during this episode, but probably right afterward, you might want to call 911. I had so many meetings today. I don't think anyone else was able to have meetings because I took mm -hmm. them all and I had them that, for them. Is that, yes. uh, that's why I couldn't have a meeting earlier today. <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay. So we have quite an episode today because not only are we going to do the news and our listener corner, but we interviewed during Winter Fantasy one Greg Marks, Adventures League admin, to talk to him about the current state of Adventures League and organized play for this version of D&D that we know and love. And so after we do the news and do the listener corner, we will switch over to that uh, to that interview. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That was a great show. I had a, a really good time. It was sort of brought good energies, kind of good everything. Like it was just wonderful to see people. I had not been to Winter Fantasy since pre-pandemic or, you know, right when the pandemic was hitting. It was like the last yeah. show I went to forever. So it was yeah. fun to go there again. Yep, yep. Ran some games, played some games. You got to, to run a game for my home group, even though I wasn't at the table at the time. They so. turned an animated... They turned a grenade into a baby. That's what your friends did. And uh, and there were a lot of father jokes. And there was, I couldn't hit the character for a while. And he said that it was because of the grief of having to give up his baby. It was a whole thing. I was very He's impressed, being, as I always am, with your gaming group at the things they come up with. It was, it was, he excellent. is being shielded by grief. Yes. Shielded by grief. And That's unfortunately, my grief at being with them all weekend did not shield me from too much, but <laughs> still, good time was had. It was good to get out and play in person and run a few games in person. So, uh, looking forward to that again next year. But I'm also looking forward to our listener corner because I really want to hear what folks out there have to say. So, we're going to start with Dan the DM via Mastodon who asks, or says, I fall into this habit of second-guessing everything I've ever done as a DM in between sessions. The world, the quests, the adventure. By Friday of every week, I want to scrap it all and start fresh Sunday. Does anyone else run into this? How to combat this week to week? Mm. I'm going to let you start with that question, Teos. I mean, so the first thing is be kind to yourself because... Mm -hmm literally a warm body running a game is better than the alternative of no game right so the bare minimum competence level is something people love and and you are doing a valuable service if you just show up and you know administer monsters that you are trying to put effort into all the rest of it is all win and it's just degrees of win on up from there rather the degrees of failure but our brain turns that equation around and our brain is wrong about that um, so, so, you know, my first thing would be just like, relax and, and try to, as much as you can enjoy the second guessing rather than seeing it as about faults, right? Try to like spend as much time thinking about what worked well and what you want to do again, as you do on things that you think maybe you didn't super love. Uh, what do you mm -hmm. think, Sean? 
my question to Dan, the DM is do, does, do your players come back next week? If the answer is yes, then you're doing it right. Do your players have fun? Do they actively have fun? Can you see them enjoying the game? Whether whether it's laughing because of the story or concentrating because of the uh, combat, are they engaged and having fun in the game? If they seem to be, then the answer is you're doing everything right. You then need to figure out what you have to do to have fun. And if you're having fun at the table, then you're doing it right as well. And all of these afterthoughts are just the normal second guessing that comes with creating anything, right? You could paint a picture and say, boy, I wonder if I could have done that better. You can write a poem and say, boy, that rhyme scheme, I don't know, <laughs> right? You could, you do that whenever you create something. So it's natural to do that. You just have to remember to also have fun. And if it's fun for you to second guess, if you do like to tweak with the story, the quests, the world, then go ahead and do that. But it, enjoy it uh, as the creative process it is rather than than hating it. Uh, and yeah, if, if everybody's having fun, keep on that path because that's the whole point of, of doing this. And I might zero in on this question about scrapping it all starting fresh so you know one thing that that i had a lot when i started running is that i would pursue a story that i hadn't sort of fully formed and so as i kept going with it session after session i found myself doubting a lot because in fact i didn't quite know where it was going and we were all having fun but i became happier as a DM. I don't know if it's better. I think I became better as well, but I became happier as a DM when I had a better outline of where my story went essentially all the way through. That doesn't mean that it was all a railroad or whatever, but you know, I knew where I wanted things to go or what could potentially happen, what things would develop and appear just at an outline level. And that helped me a lot. So I don't know if that's the case here, but, but if you find that sort of your story is a thing that, that you keep revisiting, then maybe spending a little more to think more widely about where it's going may help. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is it allows you to know what the character's goals are going to be, or you figure out what the character's goals are once they start playing. And if you know what the character's goals are going to be from, from session to session, then you can focus in on the important things of putting the drama between the characters and their goals. And if you're doing that, that's the fun part of it. Whether that drama is in their backstories moving forward or the thwarting the goals of the bad guys or you know their goals are just something driven by what the character feels like doing from week to week, then you can focus in on that important work of creating the dramatic tension and the fun encounters uh, at that will be played out at the table rather than worrying about anything else other than that um, important aspect of the game. Then we will get to read Anderson via Mastodon. I've only ever played Dungeons and Dragons through the years. One of my all-time favorite console games is Final Fantasy Tactics. The class progression is very interesting because you start off as either a squire for the martial class or a chemist for the spellcaster class. As you level up, you unlock new classes and abilities. Are there any RPG systems you can recommend that have a system where everyone starts with similar, uh, everyone starts very similar and grows into 
grows in different directions as they progress. Thanks. So in that's that's that is a great question. And as I ponder this question, this is what I want a game to be for for me at this point in my in my gaming career. I want a game where everyone starts the same way and they progress through play rather than through choices that they make outside of play. However, D&D is such a uh, class-based system and all of its clones and all of the games that have sprung from it are such class-based systems that it's hard to get that feel of you're all equal at this point and you will grow to become different. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there are many games out there. None of them are jumping to the top of my head at the moment. Uh, I mean, you could call fate that, Mm-hmm. But you but you're gonna have different because it's not class based, but you're going to have different traits and you're gonna have different um oh boy, I lost the name of what they are. Um uh aspects. aspects. You're gonna have different aspects, but those aspects are all equal to each other uh mechanically. So in that sense, that's a game where you start equal. Um yeah, I think a lot of those games that are maybe be more modern. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or or support modern or, or current time games uh, tend to be like that because they are trying to emulate a genre where you know the soldier is not all that different than the scientist right except for their firearm skill or their science skill and so the more you get into things like gumshoe um, or uh, d20 modern right or anything yeah. that starts with like a commoner, like where you play as commoners first and then you differentiate, right? Um, in fact, someone recently recommended on our one of our YouTube comments was about a game where you sort of, you know, all start. I think it's DCC Classics. I think I think that might be, yeah. you know, where you start as um, Dungeon Crawl Classics starts as, yeah. as commoners and then you add more, right? So the more the game sort of feels like that, then you get into this kind of ability uh, of the game to 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 let you grow organically. D&D has sometimes tried that like it's either had a zero level or you know things like the Ori red box where as you played you decided you know do you want to hide from the bandits? Oh look, you're sneaky, you're a rogue. But it ends up being yeah. dissatisfied because I think iconic D&D is you say I'm the rogue, I'm the fighter, I'm the cleric, I'm the wizard and you want to sort of identify that way. So therefore the game wants to give you what you're asking for which is a bag of tricks. Right. And strong yeah. pillars that differentiate. Yeah. And and even those games like the D&D games where you start at zero level or the, the DCC, even though you start with a commoner and you're all the same, there's a huge jump between that. And now you're picking your class and you get your huge bag of tricks rather than slowly right. gaining things. Yeah. Uh, so, ch- you know, check out more smaller indie games. Uh you know, very tiny one page games will do that for you, right? Honey Heist <laughs> would be that game. Now, it's a one page game, right? You probably right. only play it once and then you're done. So it doesn't have that long term campaign feel, but it's something that you can at least toy with to get a feel for how that works. So you'd know if you actually like that sort of game. And some games still have a few differentiators like Spellcaster, right? Like, I think, like, mm-hmm. if you think of Fantasy Age, Spellcaster, you know, sort of drives you into a certain category versus Melee. But when you're within those categories, it's not like Druid or Wizard has to be a huge pillar that separates from the other pillars. It can it can be more of an evolution, right? I want some nature stuff. I want some arcane stuff. I want some 
archer stuff. I want some, you know, it's less segregated in that sense. And that also tends to achieve that. So you may have a, you, you know, you may be okay with having a few of those differentiators, but then the rest of it is really evolving nicely. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, which we'll talk about, allows you to do that a lot, right? Where you can really, from level to level, pick what you want as your emphasis and end up, you know, very different. But it isn't because you bought into some giant silo at the beginning. So we can talk about that. Yep. Yeah. And as we review games over the next few weeks, hopefully we'll get into games that do that, you know, do a lot of different things in different ways. We have Kurt Ugel for 576 via YouTube with the questions. Please describe how the experiences of being a producer uh, rather than an author, you go about doing that. And the other question is, do you have a list of key points you try to get at to match DM and play expectations? So a producer rather than an author. The author is you have a task in front of you. Generally, hopefully it is made very clear what the end product of that task will be. And you go and you do that task. Asking questions of your producer along the way to make sure you're on the right track. The producer is going to be the person that pulls everything together, not just the writing from all of the different authors, but also dealing with the art director to make sure that the art is going to match the text, dealing with layout folks to make sure that you are hitting your goals in terms of page counts if you're creating a book. Um, you are often the one creating the overall picture of what the project is going to be. So when the author sits down to create the thing toward a goal, you are the one creating that goal that they are working toward. Um, so you, you are, as a producer, especially if it's a big book, like a 256-page source book, uh, you are the person who has to keep that vision in mind as you watch everyone else work toward that goal. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, you, you're more of a project manager, and, and you, you almost have the mind of a developer where you are less concerned about the exact words and what the words are achieving so you are you are looking at something that gets handed in and saying does this meet the higher goal that we need out of this right and, and that's especially true when you have different authors all handing in different pieces all those pieces need to gel and contribute to that overall higher goal things might individually be amazing but they're not doing that so you might go back and work with the author to to do more right. of that right or when you hand it all over to an editor, the editor will then come to you and say, the tone of these different pieces is very different. How should we handle that? And then you might have to send something back to an author or tell the the editor, could you tweak the language or tweak the, the verbs or tweak something yeah. during your edits to make it, the tone uh, match? So yeah, all of that goes together. Uh, the other question, Teos, key points about trying to match DM and play expectations. Well, yeah, uh, the DM and play expectations, the easiest way to say it is contrast it with what you're doing as a writer, which is that you are creating this um, informational document, right? Mm -hmm. And full of fun ideas that you've come up with or someone else has asked you to, to, to develop. And so it, it it, that can be that you're in this mindset and you're not thinking about those larger things, right? So DM experiences, the DM is going to read this and process it, and then they're at the table going to try to pro provide this 
experience accurately, right? Like they're going to try to correctly understand what's on the page, run it in a fun way and feel good about it. And so all of those things can, can be, are better when you pull back from your writing and go, okay, if I'm looking at this page for the first time, is it really clear what comes together, right? Mm-hmm. And I always love like, you know, going to Winter Fantasy and running a couple of adventures and seeing how well do they do that, right? Am I lost in some introduction that's just enormous, right? Or could I pick this up quickly and run it as is? Is it a joy to read or is it a slog, right? All those different things really can, can matter. And it can be that as we're writing, we're not thinking through it. And play experience is, is a slightly different piece, but we're, we're turning that into both DM and player and how that interplay happens. And I'll give one example of, of what it was, a very fun introductory um, Dark Sun adventure, or uh, <laughs> Dark Sun, I wish. Uh, Dragonlance adventure that I ran at Winter Fantasy, and it was really very good. And I gave this feedback on to, to the authors and admins that um, in the introductory piece, it has a number of scenes you describe, and then a few things that the players contribute, and then it has a, a, an introduction from an NPC, and then a rumor table that the NPC can give rumors to the PCs from this table. And so my suggestion was make those rumors into little slips of paper handouts that you give the players, have the players, since they're coming together at this tavern, share those things that they know. Mm-hmm. Now you get personality, you break up the thing where it's like exposition, NPC talking, you give more ground to the players, and that's a better play experience, right? Just mixing up all of those different pillars and, and, and who gets to speak, and it also gives the DM a break, right? <laughs> So yeah. that's the kind of thing that when you think of play experience, you go, oh, yeah, this has been the DM driving this scene for a little too long. So we switched up that play experience. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I like to do when I'm, say, writing an adventure is right at the top of each encounter, what is the point of this encounter? And everything that I write after that should serve that purpose. And I try to leave it in when I leave that little description in when I publish it. So the DM knows what the point of this was. And if the players do something differently, if the DM wants to run it differently, they at least know what the expectation of this encounter was meant for. This encounter is meant for the characters to find out the following bits of information. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a combat in there where once they win the combat, they find the letter that has the information. Well, what if they skip the encounter completely? What if they try to role play? Well, if they try to role play, maybe the people who hold the letter accidentally let slip the contents of the letter. Uh, If they choose to bypass the encounter completely, we have to move that letter to a different encounter, but it can, they can still find it somewhere. Uh, So letting, thinking of the the expectations for an encounter and actually writing it down and working toward it and passing that information onto the game master is uh, an, an invaluable tool in your adventure design. One other thing that I like doing as a catch-all is at the end of it, having a, um, a like a developments and, and sort of conclusions piece to the to the encounter as well that helps you remember like, oh yeah, they need that information, right? So worst case, you can find a scrap of piece of paper on the floor, you know, to, to give you that information, but you don't leave that encounter without the things you should have done, right? You know, once the characters have learned the information and dealt with the monsters, you know, yeah. and there are two exits going to encounter five or six, right? And that and that's just right. 
and then the DM really has that hand holding at the end as well. But I, I, I agree with you fully. The, the beginning, whenever I write the first paragraph is a very short, here's what this is about because it helps you that way. Yeah, and we've talked about DMs uh, as teachers, right? Having the same skill set as teachers. A lesson plan does exactly what we're mm -hmm. talking about. It is. In this lesson, the students will learn this. Here is how I'm going to teach the students this. Here is how I'm going to test to make sure that the students have learned this. Here is how I know that they're going to apply this information in later uh, in later lessons. And it's the same thing, right? This is what the yep. players should be doing. This is how they're going to do it. This is what they have gotten, and this is why it's important later. So it's it's a very similar parallel thing for me. So that was our listener corner. So thank you to all our tweeters, tutors, and Patreon folks who wrote into us. And you can always send in your questions via any of those bits of media. Now let's get to our news and commentary section. So Teos. Last week, some things happened, apparently. Uh, I can't Kyle believe Brink, it was just last week. <laughs> I know. It feels like it was forever ago. Uh, Kyle Brink, the executive producer of D&D, went on to several podcasts and streams to talk about the open gaming license and basically to answer any questions that people wanted to ask. He did this, we know, to many influencers, podcasts, and so on. At this point, three have been released. The first that was released was the Three Black Halflings uh, show. Second was our own Mastering Dungeons, where Teos interviewed Kyle. And the last one that aired on Friday was uh, Ginny D airing a an edited version of her interview with Kyle. And you can go watch all of those three. There will be links from our YouTube uh, channel, as well as lots of other places. But, you know, Teos was asked, or Teos, Kyle was asked lots and lots of questions, some very difficult questions about the open gaming license. First and foremost, to help provide insight onto what happened there. Um, but he was also asked a ton of other questions. And we... I want to thank everyone for the supportive and well thought out comments. Uh, even though I didn't do the interview, I watched with great anticipation and talked a little bit with Teos about it and what we should ask. And we are always open to criticism of what we do, what we say, how we do it, but we do not tolerate personal attacks against ourselves or anyone else. If you want to have an intelligent discussion, if you want to have an intellectually honest discussion, we're all about that. Mm -hmm. When you get to name calling and if you have an agenda that's obviously in, in a really dark place, um, then we're, we're just not going to engage. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But Teos, I wanted to get your thoughts on the interview. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was something to prepare for because, you know, on one hand, I'm trying to come up with a, a good list of questions, um, but I'm not Barbara Walters. Uh, so I, I know I'm not going to get him to cry no matter how hard I try, nor do I want to see him cry because that is not my personal style. So it's that balance. Right. And and what I what I chose to do, what I ended up doing and, and hopefully, you know, I think the comments show a lot of people appreciate it is to try to be uh, as respectful as possible but ask serious questions, not just on the OGL, but on the on the larger nature of it and of the team itself. It also allowed me to share 
what I think is community feedback, right? So the questions themselves are also feedback to Kyle that he's going to clearly hear and think through, um, hopefully, right? And, 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 and not put him in a defensive mode, because I think if you put people in a defensive mode, unless you're our Barbara Walters or someone like that, um, you know, you, you're, you're not going to get good answers unless all you're going to do is pin them down for that one answer, right? Which is a lot of times what that kind of interview is trying to do in a, in a professional political type setting. Uh, but in our case, you know, I wanted to learn more about what the team was doing and, and what led to this. And I think through the combination of these interviews, at least I, th I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of, you know, what it looked like when that OJL was putting together and who was involved. And, and we now have fairly good answers on, you know, where it was, right? It wasn't just some executive decision or something like that. We, we know a right. fair bit about how it came to play. And, and, and hopefully over time, this means that wizards will reflect on this and make further changes in how they do this, right? Because clearly the process might have looked good on paper, but had disastrous results, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I thought, I thought you did a fine job of, you know, one question everyone seems to have, but no one asks is, do these people even play D and D right? Mm -hmm. th th there's the criticism of, well, you know, Cynthia Williams doesn't play D and D or <laughs> Ron Ralston, Rawson doesn't play D and D. Uh, so you asked, do you play D and D and, you know, and, the, and he gave you a, an answer yeah. that I think people could understand that he's he's a gamer for sure and not only a gamer yeah. but he's somehow managed to run a campaign forever yeah. which is quite commendable right like so yep yeah yeah and uh and so i thought that was you know people all oh, softball <laughs> question no i think that's a good question i think people right people are quick to complain if there are not gamers running mm -hmm. these things so it's good to know yeah and, and all that said i think you and i have worked for wizards in the past and we have had our share of joys and we've had our share of problems, both with the company as a whole and with the people that work there that, you know, we've, we've been on lists of dead. Yeah, let's stop contacting them when certain people are there. Uh, so we're not, you know, we're not kissing up to anyone. We, we know the business fairly well and we, and so I approve of all of Teos's questions and just getting, getting answers out, getting as many answers out as possible. So yeah. we have a base from which we can move forward. And just really thankful for the opportunity that it's nice that we were thought of because, um, and I appreciate the three black halflings was thought of as well, because it's very easy for them to have only asked questions to certain groups or to have, yeah, done it in a way that, that it was, um, different than how they, they've reached out. And I appreciate that. I look forward. I think, you know, mm -hmm. Bob, the builder is going to have an, an interview. We'll see who else does one, but, but, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm would be very surprised if there weren't at least three more coming. Um, if, if those people chose to ask questions and record it and, and put it up. Hey, there was a, there was a football game yesterday. Apparently I did not watch the, the, the super bowl, but where was a D&D &D ad? There was a Super Bowl with a D&D &D trailer for a movie. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, the trailer consisted of previously seen footage. You can find the link in our show notes. Uh, but it had a couple of extra scenes, some kind of wave of water effect striking some characters, a scene on a boat, you know, not a whole lot new. But it's just kind of cool to know that, you know, this many people saw a D&D 
uh, trailer is that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it. I th- I watched the 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 trailer, and I thought, well, we really haven't seen. We have. There's nothing new there. There's not too much that we haven't seen already. But I think it was cut in a way to highlight the action rather than the comedy. Yes. Mm-hmm. With probably with a focus group going, you're, you're all football fans <laughs> slash you know more general audience, right? You're there to watch Rihanna. You're there to watch the ads. What's going to be most effective to you yeah. to get you to come see this movie, right? And it's it's the action. It's it's Flash, Chris Pine, and Flash, uh, right? Michelle all Rodriguez of the different actors and, yeah. and actresses. Yep, mm-hmm. and uh, and get Hugh Grant in there once just mm-hmm. to, for recognition. <laughs> and let's see if we can get you to to come to this movie. So I thought yeah. I thought it was good, well done, made sense uh, strategically. Um, speaking of strategery, keys from the Golden Vault is coming this heist adventure on February 21st. You may already have access to it if you ordered the bundled book and digital. I did not do that. I just did the digital. So I am waiting for the 21st to to rear its beautiful head so I can see that this new uh, group of heist adventures. Uh, on D&D Beyond, you can also claim one free adventure from the book. That adventure takes us to Icewind Dale and the prison of Rebels End, and you can see all of that on D&D Beyond. Yeah, and we have a, a link in the show notes, and um, shout out to Mario Ortegon, who's been on here uh, on, on this podcast, and nice to see his name amongst the credits. I, I, I actually forget who all else was there, but I remember that, that he, his name was shown on the credits page, um, and, and I feel bad for everybody who, who may have their being on this book have been overshadowed by all of these OGL events, because you know, it's always amazing for people to be in one of these books. And so, so uh, if, if those folks are watching, what you did still is awesome. And uh, yes, and I hope you can enjoy it. Yep. Please enjoy your creative fruits, despite all the chaos that's yep. going on around. That is not your fault. Uh, there was no chaos at Bald Man Games, uh, Herald's Guild Awards and Updates. At Winter Fantasy, Bald Man Games announced... Uh, a lot of things, but the one important thing is that they will be running many con- content at many conventions this year, including PAX East, C2E2, Origins, Gen Con, and most likely also at PAX West, New York Comic Con, and PAX Unplugged. And they'll also be reaching out and running games at some library, librarian and teacher conferences around the country. Yeah. And I thought it was uh, fascinating. They're going to work with WizKids to demo the uh, new Onslaught skirmish game, uh, showcase minis and terrains at these big conventions. And they're apparently working with Asbro, uh, Hasbro and Avalon Hill to demo HeroQuest and Yawning Portal games uh, at at least, sounds like Gen Con, but maybe other places as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a new advisory council, and there are several smart volunteers, and then also me um that are on it's there it's good actors. to have at least one not so bright volunteer so that's thank that you for filling that role valuable to contrast i'm there for um mm-hmm. yeah it was, it was it was it was a nice event this awards ceremony that took place at winter fantasy and and everybody from all the committees got to speak um and sort of share the 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 year outlook uh and then they gave awards out for best dm best new dm these can all be seen on the youtube video in our in our in our um show notes 
Um, but we want to especially mention the Lifetime Achievement Award, which is always great. Sean has won this in the past. This was given this year to Les Foster, who has long worked at shows managing HQ, overseeing conventions, and especially mentoring new DMs and encouraging new DMs. And that's really great. Yep. Congratulations, Les. I can't think of too many people that deserve it more than you for the all the time and energy and effort that you've spent uh, helping game conventions all over the place. So congratulations. We lost an RPG division from Andrews McMeal. Uh, it shut down very recently. Andrews uh, McMeal Publishing has published his White Handler uh, RPG, supported other role-playing game projects projects such as uh, Blackbird's RPG. They actually hired Daniel Fox in 2019, but Daniel recently announced in December that he was no longer working there. Um, this publishing company was supposed to be the publisher for the, the Into the Motherlands Afrofuturist RPG, but the Kickstarter page for that RPG, it now says that McMeal uh, has canceled that contract and is shutting down their RPG division. Yeah, it's a shame to see. Um, we want more people in this area rather than fewer, but sometimes that's the way it goes. Yep, yep. Hopefully it does not, hopefully it's not a harbinger of greater downturns in you know, role-playing game publishing, uh, but you rarely know that such a thing happened until you're well <laughs> into the midst of it. Yeah. So we're uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, in happier news, Ed Greenwood has a Patreon. Ed is the creator of the Forgotten Realms and the its most no notable, second most notable character, Elminster, uh, if Drist is the most notable. But anyway, Ed has a Patreon now. And for just $3 a month, you can support Ed and get all sorts of realms lore and his cool gaming ideas. You can go higher than that. It goes all the way up to $100. So if you're really really into the forgotten realms and want all yeah. the things you can uh, support it at that level. But yeah, you know, for three, for three bucks a month, easy getting, getting Ed's, uh, Ed's vast knowledge and creative genius at your fingertips is, is well worth it. And the hundred dollar tier includes like meeting with Ed and, and having sort of video conference calls where he, you know, answers questions and gives you ideas and tips and things like that. So, you know, that could very well be money well spent for some folks. But uh, I, th I thought was that was something that I someone remarked to me, like, did you see that this goes up to 100? It's like, oh, wow, that is that is serious. But but there are some huge Forgotten Realms fans out there. And I mean, what an opportunity, right? Yep. Kickstarter news. We have Dwarven Forge launching Cities Untold. This is the latest Kickstarter from Dwarven Forge, bringing us city terrain. Uh, the Kickstarter uh, funded in not three, but two <laughs> minutes, and it made a million and a half dollars in one day. So did you write any adventures for this, Teos? Uh, I did not. In fact, they on a recent stream said that they decided not to do any adventures for this, which probably makes sense. I think it's the kind of thing that it takes a lot of time from their day to think through what the plot should be and so on. So no adventures this time, uh, but there are some really amazing uh, terrain sculpts there that that look incredible. So I've, I've I'm currently at the one dollar level, and then I'm just you know slowly making my plans. But uh, but wow, the, the tiers for this are not cheap. 
their prices are as high as the quality. So it is it is gorgeous, yeah. but uh, but you have to come in prepared. And I mean, yeah, there's some small things you can jump into. I, I, I for sure will pick up some pieces like there's some really neat uh, dock structures that you can string together. Um, but yeah, there's some gorgeous stuff there. Cool. Another Kickstarter news, uh, Forge of Foes will be kickstarting uh, within the next few weeks, I believe. Yeah, March uh, Mike 1st. Shea, March 1st. Okay, Mike Shea, Scott Fitzgerald Gray, and one Mr. Tio's Abadia. Is that how you pronounce that? Uh, have so. joined forces for the first time since Vault of the Dracolich. They will tackle monsters, tips and guidance on everything from how to run monsters effectively, how to create them, how to build incredible encounters around them, and so much more. Uh, they announced the project last week, and you can follow them at that Kickstarter page that is in our show notes. Again, that is Forge of Foes for 5E. I feel like I should give like some sort of a little spoiler or something. What do you think? You do what you feel right. <laughs> so I've, we're, we're nearly done uh, with the writing. I've been doing the, the last touches on a piece. Uh, which is uh, around monster powers, which feel a lot like if you know monster themes in fourth edition, right? Really quick drop-in powers that you can add to a monster and sort of bring them to life. And I am mm -hmm. super excited about the different ways that we talk about those and use those. Um, but the whole book, I, it has been a joy to work with these folks, and we'll be talking more about it in the future, but, um, but this is an exciting project. Awesome. Awesome. And one more bit of news. If you, you know, only back one Kickstarter this year, back Forge of Foes. If you back two Kickstarters this year, I would invite you to back a Kickstarter that is currently in progress. And it is called Valakin Clans. It is a Grim Hollow expansion that delves into the world of Valica, the frozen north of the world of Etheris. And we are the Kickstarter has been up for a few hours now, probably when this show drops. So we'll see how it's going, but you can get all sorts of new, uh, a gazetteer that talks about the land of Alka. We have new systems. The big one is for raiding. If you want to run a campaign of Viking raids, this is a way to do so that takes on a more war gamey aspect Wow. that still relies on you as the players to lead this and then finish off the raid uh, territory with a finishing raid on its main stronghold. Uh, and awesome. we've, we've had a lot of fun writing this and play testing it. Uh, it gives you a, sort of a different way to play 5e, uh, but we also have new maneuvers. So subclasses that rely on special maneuvers Mm. turning your fighter types into to uh, people that can do a little more magic-y things or giving your magic-using uh, characters a little more martial oomph to them. Uh, awesome. And I, yeah, I could go on and on about all that's in this book. And there's also a full adventure that covers a year in the life of one of the Valakin clans, a clan that you make on your own. And it incorporates all of these different new rule systems that we've created, raiding, maneuvers, survival, trade, all of that uh, is shown to you throughout this uh, adventure. That sounds so, great. Is everybody, um, is everybody working together to make one clan or is everybody from their own clans? 
you could do it any any way. Wow. Yeah, you can play as an existing clan. There are six major clans and then several minor clans. So if you choose to play in one of those clans, there are rules for building your characters to be that clan and you know some adventure hooks for that area. But if you play the adventure, you are building a brand new clan from remnants of other clans that either have disbanded or you've gotten sick of and decided to band together to create a new one. And it is your first year as this clan. And the question is, will you be able to survive? So mm. each season has its own challenges, whether it's the raiding season or the growing season or the deep, dark winter where you just try to survive the monsters that come in from the cold. <laughs> I love it. Having just watched Last Kingdom on Netflix and finished that series, uh, I, I'm ready to make my, uh, you know, how can I make my character sound like Uhtred but not be Uhtred? But, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, thank you for your support uh, if you choose to support oh, okay. that. And uh, yeah, we, and we appreciate it. Join me, everyone, in uh, backing that. That sounds awesome. There you go. So with the news out of the way, we will now get to our main topic, which is our interview at Winter Fantasy with Greg Marks. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here with my well-traveled co-host Teos Abadia. Hello, hey, Sean. How are you? I am doing fine. I am exhausted. It is late <laughs> on Thursday night here at Winter Fantasy, where we are getting our game on as we have not done in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're a little unused to this level of gameitude. Uh, slot after slot, session after session. It's uh, it's only Thursday, and I feel like it's like a Saturday. My feet hurt, and I wish my feet were the rest of my body. Yeah. Uh, but we are also here with a very special guest, Mr. Greg Marks. Hey, Greg. Hello, friends. So well done. So uh, <laughs> I I've learned everything I know from Mike Shay. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Did you guys see the game the other night? Oh, what a what a wonderful game. Mike, yeah. did you see that game? There was some sort of score. Like yes. the ball oh, did man. things. Yes. Yes. That's our sports corner for Mike Shea. And but we're we have Greg here, and while we had Greg here, we wanted to take the time to record live and talk about the Adventures League because we've had a few questions from people saying, what's going on with Adventurers League? And to be honest, Teos and I had no idea what was going on with Adventurers League. <laughs> but we're here with Greg, who is, his title is... Uh, I'm the content manager for the D&D Adventurers League. Yep. So we came right to the source to get all the news on what's going on with the Adventurers League. And that's what we're going to do now. And this is a perfect place to do that because we're at Winter Fantasy. Winter Fantasy is a convention run by Baldman Games, one of the partners, one of the two kind of main partners that are working with the Adventures League. And we're playing lots of Adventures League here. There are other games as well, other RPGs as well, but a lot of it, you know, what you see table after table playing are Adventures League adventures of various types. Yep. So with that in mind, we are going to grill Greg Marks. <laughs> on all of the questions that you all have asked and that we want to know the answers to about the status of the Adventures League currently. But actually, let's get a little bit of history of Greg Marks and his role in the Adventures League and Wizards of the Coast and so on. We're going to ask Greg to keep it to like a half hour yeah. uh, because he goes way, way, way back in terms of uh, his organized play experiences. Can you just... I, because I think it's so fun, just just briefly state what was your very first game you played, where did it happen, and how old were you? 
Uh, the first game I played was in the very early 80s. I think it was 81 uh, at uh, Gen Con. It was round two of the D&D Open, and I was six. I mean, you know, how do you how do you beat that? That's pretty pretty exceptional to just. And he randomly got pulled out of a hallway to fill a slot in the second round of the D and D Open. I mean, that is, un, it's like you were forged in fire. For, and we did not advance, <laughs> but still, quite fire. Yeah. So, how does a six year old get recruited to play? You're gonna make me tell the, the story, aren't you? Just just you know, in general. Uh, when my parents were getting divorced. My dad knew that I, of course, had an interest in games and fantasy, and he said, I, there's some sort of convention that my friends told me about. He, His friends played some miniature games, and he's like, we should go see this thing. You'll like it. And I was there, and they were playing miniature games, and the six-year-old is probably not the most conducive thing to a, a understanding a war game. And I had gone into the hallway to play with some toys I had with me, and a, an adult, who I now realize was a college student, came over and said... Hey, you kid, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm playing with my G.I. Joe. And the uh, he's like, great, come with me. And he's an adult, so I did. Uh, yeah, just, of course, he's an adult. He told me I'm supposed to go over here, so I did. We go into the next room, and there's a guy with a clipboard, and he says, uh, what's this? And he's like, this is our alternate. Uh, okay. And they sat us down, and the guy's like, hey, kid, do you know about d and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, do you know what Conan is? And my dad had recently shown me Conan, so... I did. I was like, yes. I do know who Conan is. He's like, great, you're Conan. Roll this die whenever I tell you. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much attacked everyone, kicked down every door. <laughs> I was the most Conan of Conan. Uh, I'm sure there were puzzles and whatnot, but I tried to smash them and rush through. And I remember very little about the adventure other than uh, I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and the other people probably disowned that quote-unquote adult who brought me to the table. Because well, you, you needed to have a, the exact number yeah, of players. Yeah, so they had, they had had a group of friends that had gone to play, but they were short one, and they had picked someone up. But they advanced, and the one person they picked up didn't show when they advanced to the second round. Right. So he randomly had to... You were allowed one alternate, and they didn't have one. <laughs> and so he ran into the hallway, and he came back with me and told the musterer, this is our alternate. Excellent. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and so Greg has literally been working on organized play since since he was sick. Uh, yeah, my first product was uh, I was the group that play tested the original Unearthed Arcana. Wow. First edition. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And you've and worked... He, he came up with the final design of the Cavalier. It's his no, 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 that is not <laughs> my fault. Though I did play a Cavalier in uh, that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it may have been his fault. Unconfirmed rumors. Unconfirmed. Like, very truth, unconfirmed. The truth is revealed right here yeah. at yeah. Mastering Dungeon. <laughs> So over the years, you've worked in a lot of... Well, you've been a freelancer for a lot of different companies yes. and a lot of different games, but you've spent a lot of time in organized play writing and being the administrator mm-hmm. through 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 4th edition, 5th edition. I, I never was an administrator during 2nd edition. I played. I was okay. part of the RPG and played a lot. Okay. And it wasn't until 3rd edition where I became an admin for a campaign, and then I have been an admin for some organized play campaign... Uh, ever since. So since about uh, 2000 mm-hmm. to now. So, t- oh my God. 23 years. 20, yes. Well, in October, it'd be 23 years. Yep. So, Greg has had experience in all of these different editions with all of these different organized play styles and campaigns and goals and problems and all of that. Mm-hmm. So you you have as much knowledge as anyone 
of this uh, this thing that I have people do. Seen many things and never been responsible for any of the bad things that make you unhappy. <laughs> uh, yes, well said. As an, as any admin, <laughs> as any administrator. Yeah. So, with all of that said, fifth edition hit. We had a we lost the RPGA moniker mm-hmm. and got Adventures League, and we've been through ups and downs, season after season, new rules, old rules. People come, people go, and here we are. We are how many years? Um, nine, ten years. Uh, yeah, about nine years, about, about nine years, roughly. Yep. And where does Adventures League stand now? Ah, oh, well, Adventures League is still going strong. We still have a lot of people playing. Uh, we've made some changes in some of the things we do and what content we release and how that content is uh, originally created. And some of those have definitely, I'm sure, are some of your questions. Mm-hmm. Which uh, So I, I'd love to dive into uh, that sort of discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh should I just dive in? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think folks have reached out and, and said, you know, what are the different kind of program areas and, and how, do, you know, even a, a how does it work, I think would be helpful. Oh, great. Um, so the idea of uh, Adventures League as an organized play program, and this is true of other organized play programs as well, there is content that is put out. Uh, you can play it at home, you can play it at a store, you can play it at a convention, but it's, it's these usually sort of bite-sized chunks uh, but it can also include longer adventures sometimes, and it gives you uh, the opportunity to drop in and play. You might not have a group, so you could maybe find one because of a store, like a group that meets at a store to play this content, a group that plays it at conventions. Uh, and our organized play content is, is a living campaign. And what I mean by that is... You don't necessarily walk in, get a pre-gen, a pre-generated character, and then lose your progress, right? If you play a game, the experience that you earn, the magic items you find, the we call them story awards, but the those effects that change your character, like you, you're knighted, or you get a piece of land, or you are blessed by a deity, and now you have something that modifies you in some way... Those things follow you. Like, they, you bring your character. It's your character. And we provide a small framework of agreed-upon rules. We've actually made a lot of strides lately in really trimming down to the bare minimum of necessary rules. A lot of uh, organized play programs, and, and all of them are guilty of it, have a tendency to eventually acquire a rules bloat. And we, we not long ago recently did another big trim of... Of, is this really necessary? Do you need anything more than your, your PHP? And the things that we try to have rules for are things that are necessary for an organized play environment because you might not always have the same DM. Mm-hmm. So things like what treasure can you have? Like can your DM like give you the Wand of Orcus when you're third level? Well, no. We, we're going we're gonna to rule that out. Like there's certain things you can do, certain things you can't. And when do you level, right? Can can you can your DM give you you know five levels just because? Well, no, we're going to have a certain system for that. So some bare minimum things that might have been a DM call, mm-hmm. we might have to make. But for the most part, I mean, our rules are D and D. You know, grab a PHB, grab a DMG, and follow those rules, and then you're playing adventurously. Fantastic. So what are the major 
so you, you decide you want to. Let's talk about this first. So if you decide you want to play in Adventures League, where's the place to go to get started? Um, well, the best place to get started is probably to go to the Wizards Yawning Portal site. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, we've got our, our sort of basic intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, of course, also, if you go to the D&D Discord, there is an Adventures League channel. There is a... Actually, there's a couple of them. There's one that is just uh, important posts and pinned documents. So another place that you can find the documents. Uh and they get, I'll note the Discord gets updated quicker because there's a process by which the website gets updated and it, uh. it's, there's a little bit of a delay sometimes. So sometimes we'll release a thing and you can get it on day one on the Discord and it may take a few days to show up on the website. And one thing that's nice is in Discord you can follow certain channels. So those channels are set up to be followable. Yes. So you can, in your, if you have a Discord for like your friends that also play Adventures League with you or your local gaming group or whatever, you can link to that. And so when an update is made to those channels, you'll see it on your local channel. You don't have to be in the super busy D&D Discord. Right, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why we, why we use Discord, because it gives people that opportunity to just basically have it all sent right to them. So at the Discord, they can find out the rules for how to advance their characters and how mm-hmm. to gain wealth and how to track their character from adventure to adventure yeah. to adventure. So where do they find the content that they can actually play or run as the DM? Uh, so there's you sort of have two choices. Uh, obviously any any wizard's product is, is legal, right? So if you're, you want to go play Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and play through, uh, we post a, for each of the hardcovers, a very short, usually, adaption guide that'll tell you some some small things like we intend for you to level after you get to this point. Or, you know, so if you haven't leveled, all, given your players their level, you should at this point, that sort of thing. Uh, occasionally, there'll be small pieces of information, like an adventure might say, you get this item, DM, decide what it does. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want there to be huge variation in the play experience, so we might say, well, you get a cool item, it's this one. Like, we right. might give you that small. It's usually, most of those adaptations are, like, a page or less. Mm-hmm. Um so any of that is legal. You can also get what are more typical of the convention mods adventures or uh, those adventures you would play in a store. Those you can purchase at the DMs Guild. So dmsguild.com. Uh, there is an Adventurers League uh, ribbon that has all of our officially produced stuff as well as all of the things produced by our uh, premier organizers as well as community-created content that is legal. We have a program where you can make content that anybody can play, and you can sell it on the DMs Guild, and it's legal for Adventures League play. So what happens with all of that years, seasons worth of old (laughs) adventures? Can you still play those? You can. Uh, So when a season gets old enough, we usually, if it's one of our official things that we've put out, we'll bundle it. So you'll be able to find the individual adventures, but you can also find, for example, Season 3 of the Adventures League, Rage of Demons. And so you can go download it. It'll have all of our adventures in it. You get a discount. And you get a bundle. Yeah, exactly. And the the bundles are are actually fairly heavily discounted. Um, uh, Most of, I believe both of our premier organizers do that as well. When they get their older seasons of their content is also bundled. Uh, things that are done through our Dungeon Craft program, that's our community-created content program, uh, those are, are also posted, in, and they're usually posted individually because those are individual creators. Okay, so you have, at the high level, official hardback adventures that you can adapt. 
You have the Dungeon Craft program of community-created content, which gives you infinite expandability. You can play forever, never run out of play. And then you've got the partner work. So tell us a little more about that partner side of things. Uh, okay, so we have uh, currently two what we call premier organizers. Uh, these are groups that uh, have gone through sort of a vetting process and are known for creating good content. Uh, currently, that's Bald Men Games. Uh, so obviously putting on here at Winter Fantasy does uh, the AL content at Gen Con and the Paxes and Origins and a number of others. And then also the folks at Gamehole, and they do HeroCon and GameholeCon, and I, I believe one other small one as well. Uh, both of those groups have uh, shown us an ability to produce really good quality content and have really worked with, and to work with us as well. Um, I there, there may in the future be other premier organizers. That's uh, uh, another sort of situation we're always on the lookout but we're not it's not that we're taking applications right. so much as if we saw a group that was like really killing it you know they're reliable you know they're reliable yeah. yeah follow directions follow, <laughs> no, meet deadlines follow directions all yeah. of those things and don't do tempting things that may seem like they're a good idea but don't right go don't break the but, rules but go yeah. against the adventures league rules around. Yeah. yeah especially now where we have we have so few rules now we really really cut back and it's it's not that hard to follow them. So, so what are the campaigns or what are the content that uh, Bald Man Games and that Gamehole Con Publishing are doing? Okay, so our premier organizers currently have a couple of different uh, campaigns that you can participate in. So uh, Bald Man Games has uh, their Moonshade Isles campaign that they're still continuing. Uh, so the Moonshade Isles campaign... Uh, takes place in that part of the Forgotten Realm, so very Fae-themed. Uh, they've got there with the Northlanders, their Vikings, and, and all of those sorts of situations. Uh, and they're, so they're continuing that storyline. They've been given that little corner of the realms to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to that, game holes given the Border Kingdoms. So an area with all these like individual tiny fiefdoms, a lot of bandits, a lot of... Uh, uh, Places that a kingdom in name only, it's really like a village and it lasts for a few weeks and then somebody wipes it out, another one pops up. So a lot of turmoil uh, on a totally almost the opposite side of the continent too. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to those two storylines that they both premiered, like they started those storylines with with only minor guidance from, so it was really, really good stuff. Uh, Ballman Games is also... Uh, picked up the Dreams of Red Wizards. Uh, so they're doing what was the original sort of flagship main core storyline for us uh, is now being taken over by Ballman Games. So that's the that's the fight against Thay. So rumors are that at the end of the last uh, admin-produced content that maybe Saz Tam died. It, it appears that he might have died. And so the current... Uh, Ballman game series is dealing with that aftermath, like what's happened in mm. since then. Uh, in addition, Ballman Games also took over our Dragonlance campaign, mm-hmm. which is premiering here at Winter Fantasy. So the first epic, the intro mod, uh, and we, uh, I believe, should be releasing. I don't think this is any secret. We should be releasing the actual adaptation for that hardcover any day now as well. Oh, nice. 
So, and I ran both of those adventures today and, and one of them yesterday, and they were excellent. Really good work by the teams. Really nice riding. Yeah. A lot of, I like the options, the, the, the combat or not. Like, there's something for everyone. You can, you can solve things in multiple ways. It really, yeah. they've done a great job playing to multiple play styles. So you don't have to, it's just not hack and slash. Or if you like hack and slash, yeah. you can, that can be what your party does. That can be your way to solve and, it. I want to at some point I want to talk about sort of how organized play play has changed over the years, but but one of the things that it has done sort of most recently under fifth edition is this idea of taking the main stories that are out there and then playing off of them. Um, you can of course, as was said, you can play the actual hardback adventure, but you also have some representation of the rules. So with Dragonlance, the intro adventure, which is just two hours also as a neat way of sort of introducing you to things like the return of the gods and that concept and how mm -hmm. that might feel or how war might come to you. And so it, it actually, one of the things I've really enjoyed with these Adventures League seasons is you can almost use them as alternate, well, not almost, you can use them to enrich your yeah. official adventure run, either expanding it or modifying it, and that's really cool. In the, in the Dragonlance hardcover, there are several little intro mini... They're like half a page. Here is a way you might bring in someone who wants to be a cleric. Here's a way you might bring in someone who wants to be a knight or a wizard or, or whatever. And they definitely have like some advantages. They're very tailored to that little, mm -hmm. that character. Uh, I like the, this intro really gives you the opportunity for a unifying reason. Mm -hmm. Like this is the reason the whole party is getting yeah. involved in the war together and why you might be a unit that's going to work together. Like, you are this adventuring band that has this motivation because you are picked to do the particular thing that happens yeah. in the adventure. And I, I think that that will help your party really be a little bit more cohesive. Speaking of that party cohesiveness, I've got a request with, for your almighty powers. Uh, limitless. Limitless powers. I am a doctor, so... Yeah, there, that too. Uh, so, Spelljammer Academy is yes. awesome. It was available free for a while. It was. Now, if you didn't get it, you can't get it. That is true. And uh, I, I think that should reappear in some way. I don't care if it's like an Extra Life fundraiser or if it's a thing that people buy on D&D Beyond, but it should not be not available. So, an interesting thing. So, I, am, I, I can say this is a decision above me. So, I, 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 could, I could kick it up but a chain. Your limitless but I do not... Uh, it's not a thing I could make available today. No, sure. But, but, <laughs> but, let me give you an example of yeah. something that did happen with some prodding. Mm. And actually, I believe it was one of the other admins, Tony Winslow Brill, who came up with this idea. But we do a thing called Liar's Night to celebrate mm. Halloween. Mm -hmm. And Tony kind of noted that we have put out that sort of content every Halloween where it's only available for a short time around Halloween and she was what, said, what about for this Liar's Night, we make a package deal. And it has everything in it from previous years. Right. So could that ever happen? Uh, it's a thing I would support and would suggest. Whether I could actually ever make that happen, I could never promise that. But maybe well, if we ever see another I, Spelljammer book, you'll see it I pop out again. These days, wizards will respond to anything you ask of them. 
At least we're at 100% so far. So uh, <laughs> In the last, like, <laughs> the last several month. hours. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so, you know, just, just request it. Uh, the other request I have for your limitless powers, uh, this sure. is not at all a personal request, but there's this adventure written, Cloud Giant's Bargain, which I often get emails about, how do I get that legally? And uh, my answer is, you have to buy it off of eBay. That's another one where I think, like, just... Put that puppy in uh, a free PDF. I do wonder about that because wasn't that also partially a deal with, uh, was it Phantom or who was the the other business that did the event? I have no idea how those So I don't, I don't know the ownership of I that. I don't have limitless power. Because uh, I, I know obviously <laughs> Wizards was involved and we, we yeah. arranged that and, and you may or may not have had some small hand in making it happen. Yeah. But I also know it was for it. that. Yes, he wrote it. <laughs> It was for that particular event. Yeah. And so I don't know if there were any deals or not that That's would preclude question. that or not. Ooh. All right. Well, I'm excited. Another thing I would love to, I will bring it up sometime yeah. with, with other folks. Please. Thank you. No, um, no flump-related request? Uh, well, I loved your flump work, by the way. I mean, I have to say that. Yeah. I hope you have played Under Mountain the Musical. So I haven't played it. Oh my goodness! I know. I know what we should do during one of our slots. <laughs> Let's yes. do it. If you have not played Under yeah. Mountain the musical, no. that is uh, part of the uh, what is it? Uh, Minx and Boo stuff and junk or whatever it was yeah. called. I don't even remember anymore. Minx and Boo's miscellaneous. I don't even. I yes. I mean, I wrote it. And I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't even remember. Is, is that the same one where you had the the, the cleric? Yes, all the, the, it was a April Fool's product, any award-winning April Fool's product that I included a AL legal uh, adventure called Under Mountain the Musical and heavily features flumps. Yeah, and you can play a cleric subclass that is all With the flump domain. It is fantastic, yeah. Yeah. It's good work. So is there anything else that you want people out there who may be interested in Adventurers League or may have played in the past mm-hmm. and want to get back into it? Any suggestions you have for them to, to sort of catch up, to get more involved, to understand what's been happening? So I think I would point out two or three things. And, and I think the first thing is, is as we both come together, like I know you because of the RPGA mm-hmm. and similar things, yeah. that... There are so many relationships, and I think that's what Adventures League is about, is about the, the building these relationships over role-playing games that we all love, right? That is, that is why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you are going to meet all kinds of people, and some people will be your cup of tea and some won't, and that's okay. It's just like real life, right? And gives you a way to meet the people you click with, gives you a way to potentially find that group. You don't have a group. Great, go on down to your local store. Do you guys run Adventures League? Can I play? I'm going to try this DM out. I'll try that DM out. And that gives you the chance to, to sort of find that group. But it also makes you a better player and a better DM. Because I can't say this enough. If you run games for hundreds of different people, you will learn skills to adapt to different ways of play and really help people want to, you know, have a good time. When you embrace that, that, you know, we're all here to have a good time and you have a different version of a good time than I may be used to. So I'm going to bend a little bit and, and make that happen. And now you have another idea for the next time you run. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're playing and you see the way a DM does something yeah. and you're like, oh man, that was brilliant. I'm going to do that too. Like I'm going to incorporate that into my game. That exposure is is the best thing about Adventures League. Yeah. It's great. I, yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. Community and that learning angle. Uh, just today, uh, I was going to run an adventure, and they didn't need me to run it that slot. So, but they did need a warm body to fill a slot of the same adventure I was going to run. So I played what I would have been running, but I got to see a different DM and their style, you know, running the things that I prepared. And there were a number of places where I'm like, oh yeah, tomorrow I'll use that, mm -hmm. right? Like that is, that's really clever what they did with this scene. And so it's the same writing, right? They were both reading, but they took their skill and applied it in a certain way. And now I can emulate that and learn from it. And that is just gold. And did you did you see any particularly interesting characters at that table or interesting portrayals? Oh, yeah, there's always the, the the player character concepts are just yep. so amazing what people come up with and, and I've gotten many over the years that I just they 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 live permanently in my brain, rent free, uh, <laughs> supplying me with ideas and fodder for NPCs, yeah. for PCs. The 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 musical group Cheap Trick got its name from watching a group called Slade who used every cheap trick in the book at their concerts to get the fans involved. Mm -hmm. That's where the name cheap trick comes from. It's the same thing for DMing, yeah. right? You yep. learn every trick in the book when you see other DMs yeah. doing those things. But if you can't play in person, we've got you covered online as well, oh, I believe. Good point. Oh, yeah. So tell us uh, about that. D&D &D Virtual Play Weekends once a month. Uh, Baldman Games hosts a virtual weekend. So... Uh, they you know, whether it's via Zoom or Discord or Roll Twenty, they've got a, a bunch of different DMs doing different kinds of interfaces. You can play with people from all over the world. In addition to games in English, uh, there's games in Spanish. Uh, I believe there was uh, some games in Russian. Was there a couple of games in Portuguese as well? There were, though. I got to say, uh, it, it, I think that the there's a, a strong contingent in Brazil that's running games. It has been really hard to get the Spanish games going. Yeah. And I think it's, it's that the Balling Games team has been just busy enough to kind of prevent this from... Because I know there are a number of DMs who are ready to run, but mm -hmm. the, the organization has never moved forward beyond us running it a couple times. So. Okay. But still, we'll a, a great opportunity. Try. It's like a growing, a growing area yeah. of interest. And even that, I've run a couple of games over some of those virtual weekends, and I've had... Like, I've sat down with two people that were American, a Canadian, somebody that was in Britain. I had, like, two people from Portugal. Yeah. Like, there's... I've definitely run a couple people from Russia. There have definitely been, like, people from all over the world. And you want to talk about getting to see different play styles. Yeah. Get a chance to play with some people from a different country. Right. And see, see things that are... That'll open your eyes to new opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And if nothing else... You can play, you can just show up for one game, right? You get to, on Saturday, like, oh, you know, I got time this afternoon. I'm going to drop by one of the, the virtual games and and get put into a room and, yeah. you know, play a, a quick afternoon game of D&D. &D. And it's, it's worth saying that a lot of the official uh, conventions are now charging a significant amount more than they used to, say, 10 years ago at a convention, right? It yeah. used to, for a long time, and I, I kind of complained about this, I said, tickets have been like 3 or $4 forever. And you're offering an incredible value, say, compared to a movie ticket, right? Yep. I'm playing for four hours, and I'm paying, you know, less than for this, you know, bag of snacks that I'm holding and eating at the table. Yeah. And, and in fact, the prices have started going up. And while that may seem difficult uh, for some to, to deal with, the reality is, I mean, it is a really good value for what you're getting. And something else has changed, which is that DMs are getting paid 
yep. to now run this, where it used to be an all-volunteer system. People had just absorbed a lot of money to run games for people. Now they get compensated, mm -hmm. uh, including on the virtual weekends. So you can yep. become a DM. You can, you know, I don't know right. So when you that. think about, uh, so the virtual play tickets, I mean, obviously they, they are, there's a paid ticket, uh, and they're not as much as an in-person convention ticket. Uh, but it is a cost, but that money then largely goes back to paying the DM, right? Mm -hmm. So the DMs are being compensated for their time, right? They, they have their Roll20 and D&D Beyond subscriptions and all their other costs, right? Then they're, that's defraying. Yeah. And and your their time is valuable, right? You want to have a good time. And I will note one of the things that really attracted me to Ballman Games is Dave Christ, who runs it. Mm -hmm. Like, he keeps track of reviews of DMs, mm -hmm. right? And if a DM is getting consistently poor reviews, like... That'll start with intervention of, like, how can we help you? Like, what do you need to be doing a better job? So, like, that education aspect. And if it's something, like, they're getting a poor review because of their language or something. Like, maybe they're just not right for us. Maybe they're just not family-friendly and, and, and that's okay, yeah. right? Like, they can go play with their, their home group and still play D&D. There's no reason they can't. But... We try to make sure that, especially for all the virtual play weekends and our conventions, that everything's a, a, a more family-friendly, you know, PG sort of environment. Yeah, yeah, and that it's very welcome and and and, yeah. uh, and fair. Um, and and I'm on the conduct committee for Ballman Games, so so when there are very rarely cases that come through, then I'm one of the people that works with the conduct team to handle wow. those, and that keeps a high standard because the DMs know, as they should know, that you know we are paying attention to what the players say, that feedback comes back to us and we make sure that it's running well. Yeah. I, once upon a time in an earlier life, I was on the, uh, what do we call it, survey and statistics or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I was one of the people who was analyzing that data before it yeah. went to the contact yeah. committee of trying to figure out what's what are the right survey questions and how do you normalize for various situations like the crowd at Winter Fantasy is a more invested, hardcore crowd compared to the D the D and D crowd at Gen Con, which is a lot more. I want to play my first D and D game, or I just this is the one time a year I play one game of D and D. It's a it's a different crowd, and how do you deal with the fact that those are different numbers? Well, we've come a long way, <laughs> sure, from, from oh, where yeah. well, where all this started. And I, I want to talk a bit about a recent change, which is this change where um, the number of admins of which your one has. has yep compacted and now you're working with these partners and guiding the partners and sort of approving their work mm -hmm. um how tell us about how you see that change uh, sort of what are the what's the, the the reason for doing this well there's a number of reasons uh so you may have noticed the 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 last year or so of content that the admins were putting out had really escalated like the both in quality and quantity and so it was taking up a lot more resources, just not just the admins, but also at Wizards. And uh, and in some ways that was good, but also at the same time we had these premier organizers who were also putting out really good content. Mm -hmm. And so we made the decision that we might be able to do more, right? Put out more things if we work together, mm -hmm. right? Rather than sort of working in our own separate silos. And so what we did is the admins decided we will we will we won't put out adventures. We'll still do the adaptions of the hardcovers, and you may still see one or two 
you know, special things that'll come from us at some point for some reason. But for the most part, we're going to rely on our premier organizers. And instead, the process is they'll they'll give a pitch for a storyline. And this might last for a year, half a year, or whatever the arc is. Uh, and that's usually a short half page, three quarter page kind of like, this is our goal over this storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look at it, make a suggestion or two, might kick something back up to, to other folks at Wizards. And then they'll give me what we call like an expanded outline. So it's usually an outline that's probably a typed three to four pages per adventure for every adventure in the series. And that's the key. Because mm. a lot of people are used to writing, write one, then write the second, then write the third, with no thought of how they're going to be connected or very little thought. Mm-hmm. And so we're really trying to build those story connections so that if you are an invested continual player, you'll see how it connects. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, make sure that if you're a drop-in player, that one adventure is a contained story and you get your whole D&D experience. Right. True. So I'll make comments on those, and once I we work that out, hash those out, then they write all of them. And uh, and they don't come back to us. So they okay, do so the editing, they the do the layout. Okay. No, sensitivity reading, yeah. layout, and editing all goes through people they've hired. Now, interestingly enough, the contractors that the admins were using, they were all basically largely picked up. And they are the same people who are still doing the editing, the layout, the sensitivity reading. So those those folks didn't lose any jobs. They right. just sort of shifted as to who who is, in, who is in charge. Great. So, I mean, I have, in general, like, this is a change that's happened. Yep. Uh, and, and it's a you know, pretty big change in terms of the organization of it and how the, the how Wizards is running its organized play program. And just looking back, right, like, there have been decades of organized play. What do you see as sort of major changes during that time in, in, in the approach that Wizards and D&D have taken towards organized play? Um, well, it always goes in cycles. Uh, organized play as business needs change, right? Like, why do we have an organized play? And we've been fortunate that TSR and then Wizards always thought that having organized play was a good idea. And you can't say that about everybody's favorite role-playing games, whatever they might be. And so, that said, they're still paying, so you have to meet whatever the goals are. And so sometimes it's recruitment, sometimes it's let's get more adventure content out there because we're writing a lot of rule books. It could be, you know, whatever the need is that they want at the time. Uh, and it, it goes in those cycles, right? Like, hey, let's put out just a few adventures really aimed at low level to bring new people in. Hey, let's put out a really heavy, really deep convoluted story for those really invested players that want something more than we've put out. Right, like they're a smaller audience, so let's let's cater something to them that wouldn't be as expensive as a hardcover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, all all of those different things, and it, it changes. And the idea of having premier organizers is new. Like I don't think we've ever really done that before, where we hired groups. I mean, people would write things sometimes in the old RPG. Like maybe there'd be a convention that was you know traditionally always wrote one adventure and got it approved and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But never something like this where we have, through the freelance, the freelancers and contractors employed by Wizards, watching over one of these organizers' storyline and like going back and forth about it and talking about it and really making this big connected stories. 
And I, and I think that that's a, a, a change in, that's been really nice for the hobby because in the past you would certainly have people who write for organized play and they may or may not go on to write something else for anybody, wizards or some other group, because it was sort of things were more disconnected. But in today's connected wor world, when you write a D&D &D adventure for organized play, that often leads to many other opportunities because you've had to meet a number of people just to do that process, right? Totally. Yeah. The, the, the process of do, working for Wizards directly and the process for writing for organized play sometimes is very disconnected and sometimes it's practically the mm -hmm. same. And yeah. so the, the experience of that, if you can do it over and over and over again for organized play, there is discussion between Wizards and organized play and the D&D &D team. Oh, yeah. And so they get these uh, clues that, hey, maybe this person will be good for this project. All of the Adventures League administrators worked on Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, uh, most all of, of the current ones worked on either Dungeon of the Mad Mage or uh, Camel Keep Mysteries. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know, like the two of you, for example, working previously on different organized play campaigns, yep. like in Acquisitions Incorporated. Mm -hmm. Like these sort of connections have always happened. I have written something. For I think every edition practically of D and D since uh, third mm -hmm. because of it, right? Like right there's now. always I've worked on some book somewhere in some capacity because of it, and and a lot of other people have gone on to other things because of it as well, right? Our right. friend Rich Lescafleur and Alligator Alley now, right? right? Like he's still doing some of the layout while while doing his yeah. own Esper Genesis things, yeah. uh, and some people will pop in. Uh, Scott Gray, uh, amazing yeah. editor and developer, like out of this world, uh, has done some of the AL editing, yeah. right? Like this, this is someone who's editing your hardcovers, right? And he popped in and did a couple of seasons, right? Yeah. And and they're all the better for it, right? Right. And there are a lot of people at Wizards who came up through organized play, mm -hmm. who understand the value of it, understand what it means to a community, and can carry that torch a bit. Uh, for for organized play in Wizards, right? Chris right. Lindsay. Chris Lindsay, Chris Tulak. Right. Uh, uh, Mike Merles was uh, uh, one as well. Like yeah. many, many folks started that way in some capacity and then moved on, right? Right. And it is a great, not only because of the forming connections of the community, but it was that honing your craft by seeing all these different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Fantastic. And we owe a lot to it. No, nope. process for sure, for sure. We wouldn't be talking about it this much if we didn't truly believe <laughs> yeah. in how important it is uh, to you know to our careers and to community and to the game, to the game itself. Yeah. Uh, you chose to make it a career. Yes, I mean, and I, I mean, both of Teos and I, I still, well, not our main career, still a thing we do quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. Well. I think with that, we have covered quite a bit of what organized play is at this point. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Yes, thank sure. you so much, Anytime. Greg, for coming to talk to us. Where can people find you, Greg, yeah. if uh, they have more questions about organized play? Sure. Uh, you can, uh, the easiest way to find me is usually through social media. If you want to talk to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at scaretthegreen, but spelled poorly. It's S K E R R I T. T and then four H three green. 
I regret that every day. I always always say the same thing every time I come on. I still regret it. Um, uh, You can also email content at dndadventuresleague.org. But really the best way, if you really have Adventures League questions, because my role is content and and plots. If you have Adventures League questions, how do I play? How do I do this? Or what's my specific? I have a niche situation. The best way to do it is through the AL Discord. Uh, Tony and Maat, especially Maat, is does a lot of the answering yeah. of those questions, and and they are on top of that. Job. Yeah, and and that's part of the D and D Discord, just to say right? The D and D Discord with the AL channel. channel, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can also find groups on there and all that. Oh yeah, they they've got all of the things you would need. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so sure. much, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you to all the Master of Dungeons, the Master of Realms, and for the Master of the Multiverse. Really appreciate Craig Bailey, Steve Bissonette, Evil John Carney, Darren Chandler, Robin Derme, Andy Edmonds at Nerdronomicon, Ben Heisler and Paige Laitman, Sean Hurst, Brian King, Travis Lee, Post Fiction RPG Audio, Eric Mengi, Micro Ant, Falcon Neal, Chance Russo, Krishna Simons, Joe Tyler, Matias Valero at Twin Portals, James Walton, and Graham Ward. Thank you all so much for your support. We truly, truly appreciate this. You can find us if you want to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash masteringdnd. And you can find Sean at Sean Merwin on Twitter. You can find me at alphastream.org.